good to see you all. Worship was good this morning, wasn't it? And Nathan's son seemed to enjoy it as well as you assumed it. How does she do it? Way to go, Diane. He just conks out through the whole thing. Just amazing. So good to see you all. Um, we are continuing to work through our series, which is It's All About Who. And a great moment in work yesterday where uh, one of the guys said, so what are you speaking about at the minute? And this part of you goes, oh, it's work. And I, I said, uh, we're talking about it's all about who. And this other girl went, well, you speak it stuff? I said, yeah, yeah. And it's all about who, what does that mean? And he went, well, you should probably go and find out then, shouldn't you? And I thought, yo, we've got a topic that actually uh, is very intriguing and interesting to people. So this week we're, we're on uh, message three and we're looking at uh, it's all about the father. I just want to recap a couple of things that we've already looked at. So basically we want to establish who it's about and what it's not about. Um, And you might be quite surprised at that as well. Because for those of us who are sitting going, I know he's going to say it's not about me. It's never about me and I have to, you know, hold on. Sometimes that's very, very true. And other times, uh, if that's what the Father's about, then you want to be about that too. So a couple of statements that I've already made. The most healthy and mature Christians are those who are ministering. Jesus said to the man in John 5, 8, pick up your mat and walk. Uh, And I was making the point that if he didn't pick up his mat and walk, then probably he wouldn't have been healed. So the most healthy and mature Christians are those who are ministering. And we uncovered the lie that says, I can't minister until. We want you to know that uh, if you have God in your life, then you're able to minister and you should be ministering. If you continue to wait for a time when you think I'll be ready when I'm here or when I'm over there, then you may be waiting a very long time. The the woman at the well in John 4, uh, by our standards largely, was in no position to lead her entire community or most of her community to Christ, or was she? Now, if we're judging it as Jesus said to judge it, which was by its fruit, well then the fruit's on the tree. Because what they said was that they no longer believed her testimony. They came and met Jesus and knew for themselves that he was the saviour of the world. Her life was a total and utter mess. Total mess. But she met with Jesus she uh, encountered him. He uncovered who he really was and her life changed and she could help but share it. So don't believe the lie that you can't do it. Just be yourself and share what you've got in your hand, which was another series that we also covered. What's in your hand? Just share it. Our wholeness is received in pursuit of Jesus Christ, not in pursuit of our wholeness. We're kind of putting the cart before the horse if we're going after our wholeness rather than him. We want to seek him first, as it says in Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So go after the king of the kingdom, not after uh, your healing or whatever thing that you think you may need. And then Matthew 16.25, Jesus said that for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And we all know that you can lose your life for lots of things, for a career, for your family, for a house, for whatever. Uh, but it's when you lose your life for him that you're going to find it. And last week we were looking at Jesus and who he is. And Jesus said this, John 5:19, I tell you the truth, that the son that can do nothing by himself, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. also. And then John 5:17, Jesus said to them, my father is uh, at his work to this very day. He's always at his work. And I too am working. And then he said, John 14:9, anyone who sees me has seen the Father. So it gives us really a perfect foundation to talk about Jesus, to then talk about the Father, which is who we're going to look at today. So we're going to build on that. 
And last week I went through a list of names as to who he is. And I hope that some of them hit you like a freight train. I was talking with someone during the week and they said, you know when you said that one? I just thought, really? I didn't know that about him. So let's hope that it's uh, the same case for you all today. So we've all had uh, different experiences of an earthly father. And I think it's warrant to make a comment on this. You've maybe had the most wonderful experience. You maybe uh, have just had a, a great relationship with your father. It's maybe had its hiccups, but on the whole, it's been wonderful. Um, and they've got it right most of the time. And you know that you're loved. He lent you his strength, and you had a secure place to move out in life from. Um, and he showed you who the Father God was. If that's your experience, fantastic. Now, there are the others. Maybe you'd no relationship with your father. Or maybe you didn't have a good relationship at all. So what I want to encourage you to do is to, in a sense, suspend that experience. And realize that we're talking about the father. And on the other hand, if this brings up uh, just situations, issues, things that you maybe didn't realize you had or maybe realize that you do have, then also the Holy Spirit brings up all of that stuff to deal with it. He's not mean and he's not cruel. If you see it from the wrong perspective, you can kind of think that he is. But he's really, really not. He's very, very good. And at times, he brings up pain. He brings up things that you've suffered. He brings up injustices so that you can view them through his perspective and he can bring healing to them. So if that's the case this morning and you struggle with some of this, that's all right. Okay? What I want to counsel you to do is to encourage you to forgive them and release them and yourselves from the weight and snare of unforgiveness. And they are human. And I'm a dad. On behalf of all dads, I'm really, really sorry when we get it wrong. And I'm really sorry that there are things that we have not attended to and should attend to. So please receive uh, that as well. I'm sorry. We all get it wrong. We're human. We want those fathers and our fathers to experience the father's love, don't we? And we need to experience that for ourselves. So if there are any wounds that he's uncovering, let the Holy Spirit minister to you. I hope that you know that this is a safe place, that there's going to be opportunity for ministry at the end. And if that is you, then, then please respond. Okay, so who is he? So this is uh, not a complete list. If I was to make a statement, it was a complete list. It would be a little bit like me going down to Lockshore, counting the stones and saying, they are all the stones in the earth. This is the Father. And in many ways, we cannot fathom the extent of this being that we get to call Dad. So let this be a journey of discovery for you. Um, in Proverbs 25.2, it says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and to search it out is the glory of kings. So it's the nature of royalty to search and to seek and to find and to hunt. If you know that you are a son or a daughter of the king, then you are royalty. So let this be the start of a journey that will cause you to discover who he is for you. Because that's the stuff then that you're going to own as well. You're going to be able to say, I know this about my father. I've got this bit. You can have this bit. And there's likely things that are going to come through. You'll go, oh, jeepers, he really owns that. And other things you'll go, he knows about that, but he maybe doesn't know it as well as that one. Well, dig it out, search it and find it. So this father, point one, he is without beginning, he always was, always will be. John 1, 1 to 2, in the beginning was the word, we talked about the word being Jesus last week, and the word was with God, so there are two, and the word was God, they were one, he was with God in the beginning. Now, I want to tease out just a little bit about how we can understand the Trinity, I'm not trying to replace St. Patrick's uh, thing about the shamrock, but think about this. 
So where I live is my house, right? If you asked my wife Claire, she might call it her house too. It's also our house, right? Who owns it? Well, I do. Do you own it? <laughs> Sorry, yes, I Never ask your wife when you're delivering a message. Yeah, I it. Let me try that again. Love, do you own that house? Yeah. Okay. Is it our house? Yeah. Okay. It's also our children, Anna and Isaac's house, and no matter where we live, it will also be their home. All of those statements are true. Every single one of them. It's one house. It's my house. It's her house. It's our house. It's their house. So the Trinity's a little bit like that too. Whenever we're talking about the Trinity, sometimes it's like, oh, I can't understand that. That's probably where you need to arrive. I can't understand that. But at times you'll understand different bits of it, okay? So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Okay? If your mind goes, poof, you're starting to understand who the Father is. He is beyond comprehension. We've got to understand, we are dealing with an infinite being who is uh, everlasting and eternal. There's a difference. Incredible, incredible person. His knowledge is complete. He knows fully and has all understanding. He is in every place all the time. Psalm 139, 7-2. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Nothing inhibits him. Nothing restricts him. He is all the time. He is completely faithful and completely full of faith. He is unchanging and he does not sleep. I think that's brilliant. He's always awake. If I needed to talk to Claire desperately in the middle of the night, I would have to consider whether I wanted to wake her up out of the sleep because she needs rest like all of us. This being that we get to call dad that we're dealing with does not need to slumber or sleep. He doesn't need to rest. Psalm 121 verse 4, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Um, and I've started to work in Titanic in Belfast and they've been open for five years and in those five years they have never ever closed. Even on Christmas Day there's a security guard round the clock. It's just open all the time. Now that's a flawed analogy because it's a human analogy. But it's open all the time. Therefore, I don't really need to be concerned if I've left something behind. I can go and get it at any point. And I've built relationships with the security guard, so probably I could get to it. So this God that we are dealing with, and he's our Father, he is available 24-7 all the time, no matter where we are. And I'm going to make this statement again later on. Our consciousness of him is not what makes him available. If you believe that he is not with you, you are the one who is believing the lie. He is with you all the time, whether you feel it or not. And part of this is we've got to drag our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, into the truth, which is he is present all the time. It's not we don't feel him. Actually, I think in the moments that we don't feel him are possibly the most important moments. When I'm emotional and filled up with love, when I'm worshipping and experiencing him, I need those things. We all need those things. God inhabits the praises of his people. He wants to come and love us. 
It's very, very important. But unless I take that experience and I bring my whole life into the reality of that experience, it's just an experience. He is there all the time. His presence is not subject to our consciousness of him. He is wealthy beyond what we can imagine in every resource and attribute that we know of and that we do not know of. Psalm 50.10 is just a slice of that. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He's also a property owner. Ever thought about that one? John 14.12, in my father's house there are many mansions. And I would suggest to you that Jesus then, who goes to prepare a place, is also an interior designer. You ever thought about that? When you get to heaven, likely there will be things there. You go, where did, where did that go? Oh my goodness. I have, uh, when I was about, when I've been about seven, uh, whenever Star Wars was out for the first time, I think it was Boba Fett's ship, or it was one of the bounty hunters. It was one of the bounty hunters' ship anyway. Completely lost. I don't know where it's gone. I expect that it's probably going to be in my house in heaven. You may go, that's ridiculous. Think what you like. My father loves me. He's a property owner. He's into the detail. Here's a biggie. He exists outside of time and therefore is not restricted by it. Time exists in him. He does not exist in time. Now, due to a lack of time management on my part, uh, at times I have forgotten to pray about things that I have been asked to pray about. Now, in my own understanding of God, okay, we're dealing with a God that is outside of time, right? So the circumstance, you see where I'm going? And then afterwards, I'm going to totally discount this because actually I should be managing my time and loving people better. So you can, you can ditch this all after. But this being that we get to call Father, right, is outside of time. Therefore, I forget to pray about something. I'm in a linear time frame, right? This is the time frame that I exist in. He's outside of that. If I forget or omit to pray about it and I'm reminded to pray afterwards, will my prayers affect what has happened? I would suggest to you that they will. Because he's outside of time. Therefore, he is present then as much as he's present now, as much as he will be present. Okay? He sees and knows your future as present, same as with your past, and he is presently now with your great, 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 ever so many great grandchildren as he is with you now. Even the now thing is a time-bound context. But... We can't think like that all the time because we are time-bound creatures. It's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. Well, you throw something up in the air or you tell that to the person that gets hit on the head by something falling down. We live in the context of those limitations, but he does not. He is other, completely different from us, and yet we get to call him Father. We also have to live in the knowledge, this is partly why I'm saying this, we've got to live in the knowledge that as a stone causes ripples in water, our choices affect those who are coming after us. We never live just to ourselves. I want to tell you the story, I think I've said it a few times. My grandfather at the age of 25, I think was one of the first ever outpatients in a psychiatric ward. He had mental issues that uh, really stayed with him all his life and he really died in the presence of his mental issues as well. When I was 25, those same issues 
Now, I would suggest to, the, suggest to you that those issues had a personality. Therefore, they are beings, which I would suggest are demonic. They came after me, particularly at 25, maybe a little bit before, came hard after me. Now, because of uh, me embracing the truth and a lot of help that I've had and a lot of love that I've had, those issues stopped with me. My son will not have to struggle with those things. Particularly him, because they're uh, related to uh, gender and stuff like that, okay? Um, but also, Anna won't have to struggle with those things, because I said, no more. How did I say no more? I took the truth that Jesus Christ died for me, that he came to untwist the iniquity. Iniquity and sin are two very different things. Iniquity is the twisting of the effects and consequences of sin over time. Jesus said, or uh, God said in Deuteronomy 5, 9 and 10, You shall not worship them or serve them, talking about idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, and on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to those who love me and keep my commandments. So what I did was I went, okay, I believe that Jesus died for me, and therefore what he did uh, takes away my sin and untwists the iniquity that has been present in my lineage and in my family line. Okay? So because I took what he did and said, this stops now, and I held my thoughts captive and I um, acted appropriately and made right choices, my children don't have to struggle with those things. Now there are other things that I need to attend to. If I do not attend to those things, I will continue to carry on and it will twist and it will twist and it will twist. The point that I'm making is that because he is outside of time, what Jesus Christ did in that moment of time rippled through it all and can be applied to it all. And therefore, if you live for him now, you have no concept as to the blessing that your children's 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 children and on we go will have because of what you chose to do. He is outside of time. Jesus came to forgive and deal with sin by a sacrifice and to bring about the untwisting of iniquity by the application of his once and for all sacrifice for those who love him and believe in what he did, past, present and future. David said, Psalm 51.2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That is on the table for all of us. Every single one of us. And if you believe the lie that I couldn't do that or it's too small, you're believing a lie. Every little action and choice that you make adds up to something and it will ripple through eternity. It's all about who? Well, it's not about just us. It's all about the Father. I'm going to read from Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you are, you are not condemned because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, the Father did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh once and for all. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, he did not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. In short, the Father sent the Son to be a sacrifice so that you could come home and so that you could be set free so be free. The Father 
set, asked the son, sent him on a mission to come and to die, to uh, untwist, to undo the works of the devil, to do it once and for all. Therefore, you are free. So live like it. If you're not, you are not embracing what Jesus did for you. If you've got some area of your life that you're restricted in, that you don't feel liberty in, that there's no hope in or there's despair in, you are not living to the extent that Jesus Christ died for you to live with. Think like you are free. The Father was the one who authored the rescue mission. From the point that Adam and Eve made the poor choice, he was the one that went and sacrificed the animal and closed them clothed them in in the skin of another at that point it was already ordained that the son would come and die so he knows what he's doing okay you still with me everybody the father is spirit i was going to say a spirit but he is the spirit but the spirit is also separate to him because the father is a spirit it's my house it's her house it's our house it's Anna and isaac's house it's all true he is spirit. John 4.24, Jesus said this to the woman at the well. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. He is invisible, but that does not mean that he cannot be seen. Look at the trees, everybody. What is happening to the trees over there? Now, there's not... Part of me would have liked a hurricane. That would have been tremendous. But what's going on out there? Great answer. How did you come up with that? Thank you. You cannot see the wind, but you can see the wind. You can see the effect of the wind. If it's windy, there it is. The wind's blowing, you can see the effect of it. You can see it, you can't... I'm getting lost. It's maybe quite comforting. You cannot see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. You cannot see the wind, but you can feel the wind, am I right? When you go outside. And you cannot see the wind, but a hurricane can devastate a city. Our Father God is all-powerful. So let Him devastate the landscape of your heart with His love. I can't see Him. And stick around long enough and you will feel the effects of His presence. You may catch the coat of His tails. You may see things that you didn't expect that you would see. You will see your life change. I guarantee you that. If you do not give up on this journey, your life is going to change. Is that anybody's testimony here? Mine's certainly in process. Anybody else? You cannot see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. God is spirit. He is invisible, but that does not mean that you cannot see him. He is a father, the obvious one. He loves his children and knows them intimately. He loves them passionately, and he is big into the detail of who we are. Matthew 10:30 Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Psalm 56:8 You keep track of all my sorrows, you have collected all my tears in your bottle, you have recorded each one in your book. 1 Corinthians 13:12 For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. He knows us completely. There's a thing in counseling, I believe, called the Johari window. Am I correct? The Johari window is basically those parts of ourselves that we know nothing about. And if someone came up to you and said, this is who you are, you might go, who are you? You don't know me. And then at some point, normally you go, 
they were actually right. Anybody else had that experience? Or you see things about yourself and go, I didn't realize that about me. I didn't know I struggled with those things. I didn't know I was great at that. So he knows us fully. Psalm 139, 13-16 For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Incredible stuff. This father is love. 1 John 4.16 And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Now, I'm going to read the love passage. We all know it from weddings. We go, Actually, when I think about it, at weddings it's possibly the most depressing thing you could ever read at a wedding. Why? Because you're calling these people who are immature in their love up to this level. Right? And I would suggest that in most marriages after the first year, if they haven't already just even considered the fact that why on earth did we do this, that they're going, I'm so bad at loving. <laughs> or you read this list in light of who you are and go, I keep records of every single wrong. I'm not terribly good at protecting. I could do this. This is the Father who knows how to love. And he is calling us to be like him. This is the bar. This is the top down. This is who we're called to be. And this is who he is. Let me substitute the word love for for him or he. He is patient. He is kind. He doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. He isn't proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. Do you think that he's angry with you? I'd suggest he's likely not. Most people that he is angry with haven't got a clue. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. He never fails. Now, I want a dad like that. He bears all the fruit of the Spirit because he is the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He is a general with legions at his disposal. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 53, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And I found out this morning that each legion in biblical terms was upwards of 5,000 men. He is so very, very good. James 1, 17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What does that do to you, knowing that about him? Does it make you go, I want to get to know this guy? Does it highlight to you what you really believe? If some of the stuff you go, hey, really? Is that true? If you're feeling that, is that really true about him? It's so very, very true. And the Spirit is calling you on into a journey to discover more about who he really is. Let me read this to you, and then we're going to finish with this. This is, um, I'm going to call it The Loving Father, or subtitled The Prodigal Sons. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, inappropriately, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, squandered every bit of it while living. After he'd spent it all, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Please note it was his physical need that drove him back to the father. It may well be the same case with you. It's not all spiritual. But the fruit is spiritual because you get back into a relationship with the Father. So if you're starting to feel the pinch in certain areas and it's driving you back to him, fantastic. So when he came to his senses, he decided to go back. And he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, this is our house bit, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. It sounds all dramatic. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father had been watching and he'd been waiting. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father's identity was never, ever compromised by what the son did. So I was thinking about this this morning. I thought if Anna or Isaac said to me, Dad, give me what's rightly mine, and I did that. I mean, I don't think I would even do that. But if I did that and they just cleared off and forgot about me and then had really the audacity to come home, I think that my identity and my love would have been subjected to the wrong that they did to me. Does that make sense? This father was not compromised in any shape or form by what was done to him by his sons. He was still in love and ready to love his sons and to welcome them home. He did not let offense and unforgiveness affect he is that's the type of love that we're called to the son said to him father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son and the son who'd gone away was thinking like a slave he thought that what he did affected that he was a son he was still a son but the father said to his servants do you notice that the father didn't even address the son he didn't even say yeah 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 son alright 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 this is what we're going to do the son comes dramatically, likely falls at his feet and goes, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a, even a slave. And the father goes, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. God does not and will not treat you like the slave that you think you are. It is all about the Father. If you're making it all about you, you're thinking like a slave. If you're making it all about you, you're thinking like a sinner. You are not a sinner. If you think like a sinner, you will act like one. You are a saint who gets it wrong and sins. You are a new creation. Jesus Christ did not come and sacrifice his life For you to be a sinner, you are a saint and you are a son. It's all about the Father. The Father calls you son and daughter, so forget what you've rehearsed. Meanwhile, let's not forget about this boy. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants. Please note that he did not call the father. If he'd been in relationship with his dad, he would have said, what's going on? 
called the servant and asked him, what's happening? Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, you can hear the tone, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your, order, your orders. Yet you never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours that squandered all your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, you gotta hear. Do you know what busts me in half when I think of him saying that? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Nathan, could I get you guys up? If you identify with the older brother, you misunderstand the father and what is yours. In short, you don't know him. Your attitude has been, it's all about me, even though uh, we are saying it's all about them. It is all about the father. If today you can identify with the other son, you've adopted the buy now, pay later attitude. You've gone for the, it's all about me and I want to experience everything and do everything because it's all about me. Then you don't know the father either. What's that you say, Lord? It's all about the father. Both sons were lost. Both of them. It's not one prodigal son, it's both of them. And the father came to seek both of them. He went out and ran to the son that had been away. And he went out and pleaded with the son that was present. He came out to find them. The father is in the business of finding what is lost. And he's after what's been lost in you. So make no mistake, when you come to your senses, you'll let yourself be found. Can I ask us to stand together? So the father is about finding what is lost. And this is the father's house. And it's the Father's house because He's here. It's not the Father's house if He's not here. And the other part of it is, it's not the Father's house. Well, it's the Father's house anyway. But it's the Father's house because we're His sons and His daughters. So as always, we want to call you to respond to what's been spoken about today. Uh, so that you can really uh, eat and consume what the Holy Spirit is ministering. We want to be like Jesus from uh, John 5.19. We want to only do what we see the Father doing. And the Father is always at work. And He's at work here this morning. So I've got some questions, as always, to help you to consider. Um, and if you can answer yes to any of these, and if you just want to come up, uh, then please join me in a second. So have you had some difficult experiences with your earthly father that need healing? If that's the case and you need healing from that today, then please come and join me at the front. Do you want to make your life all about the Father and get to know Him better? Or do you need to come to your senses? Have you been a prodigal son? Or have you been the elder brother that has been present but distant? And do you want to come home to the Father's house? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then please come and join me now at the front. And we're going to worship for a time and then we're going to minister to you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you bring us the Father. That the only way that we can come to the Father is through the Son. And the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there's freedom. 
So Holy Spirit, that we know and we recognize and we say to you that this is your house. This is the Father's house. And we recognize you as Father and we say that we are your children. So come Holy Spirit and increase your presence here now.